She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. 20 people have now been charged in Southern California with running birth tourism schemes, allegedly to help Chinese women travel to the U.S. to have babies here so they'd be U.S. citizens. What the president is calling on the Congress to do today is an all-of-the-above strategy, but all-of-the-above includes a wall. All-of-the-above includes a physical barrier in the critical high-density areas where our law enforcement community says it's most needed. I'm not waiting for this committee. And I've told a lot of people, I don't expect much coming out of the committee because I keep hearing the words that we'll give you what you want, but we're not going to give you a wall. And the problem is, if they don't give us a wall, it doesn't work. Without a wall, it doesn't work. Everyone in the Senate ought to be able to say unequivocally that killing that little baby is wrong. This doesn't take any political courage. And if you can't say that, if there's a member of this body that can't say that, there may be lots of work you can do in the world, but you shouldn't be here. You should get the heck out of any calling in public life where you pretend to care about the most vulnerable among us. And now, Stacey Washington. <laughs> oh, happy Friday. Guess what? We have another jam-packed show for you. And one of my favorite guests who comes from the opposite side of the political spectrum, but is commonsensical and really has um, some interesting perspectives to offer, Teslin Figaro, she's going to join us today. And I think, uh, you know, out of, out of all of the liberals that we sometimes have on the show, moderates, independents, Teslin is probably the most fun and definitely appropriate for a Friday afternoon where we're finally thawing out. Now, if you're in the southern part of the country, you are still living in the land of the normal. But up here in the Midwest, and, and honestly, every time I think about complaining about what's been going on with our weather, then I think about people in Chicago and how they've been suffering. But I also have to come clean. I just realized this week, listening to them say the Midwest is being buckled down, you know, negative 60 degrees, yada, yada, yada. And then they kept panning over to Chicago, our person in Chicago, the temperature in Chicago. And I don't think of Chicago as the Midwest. It's so liberal. I think of it as, well, I think of it as Chicago, <laughs> but it is in the Midwest. It's in the middle of the country. And it's much further north than we are here in the suburbs of St. Louis. It's five and a half hours away from here by car, which means that the temperatures were even more extreme there. But be that as it may, I'm not in Chicago. I'm in the suburbs of St. Louis. And we had effective temperatures of, you know, three degrees and five degrees. But with wind chill, we were at negative 24. We haven't had cold like that. And probably in the whole time that my family has lived here in St. Louis, you know, I think it's 20 years now. I mean, I don't remember the last time we had negative temperatures. Maybe it's happened once, but it's been so long. I didn't even have any frame of reference, except I knew I had to keep the cabinets for the sinks that are on the exterior of, uh, walls of the house. Those cabinets had to be open overnight. Um, but as far as the rest of it, it's just been so cold. And we've had a number of people um, lose their lives to the cold. Uh, you know, they found a college student outside exposed to the extreme temperatures. They found his body. A gentleman who was out basically scraping his driveway, he got back into the uh, garage and I'm not sure exactly what happened then. They're saying it's a death by natural causes, but he was found by neighbors frozen to death in his garage with a shovel near him. So he'd clearly been shoveling his, uh, his snow and then come into the garage and maybe had a heart attack. I'm not sure. Uh, and they don't, they're not exactly sure what happened. 
And so there have been a number of, of, you know, exposure deaths. And I just, I encourage you, even as the temperatures warm up, we're looking at another cold snap in the middle of next week. Please remember to layer your clothing, to wear your hats and your gloves. I know it's, it's so uncool for the young people to have on any semblance of what their mom might have bundled them up in when they were small. But a hat keeps that you lose the majority of the heat through your head. A hat keeps that heat in. And the gloves protect your smaller extremities, which are much more susceptible to frostbite. And the layers mean that if you should break a sweat, you're still going to be comfortable because the layers will absorb all of that and keep your core body temperature at a stable level. And you can always remove an outer jacket or take a jacket off and remove a sweater and then put your jacket back on and still have the heat necessary to protect yourself. So that's coming on the end of the cold snap. Maybe I should have given that little advisory on Monday or Tuesday, but I've just been battling with this. It's hard to get anything done. We have deliveries out. We're expecting some packages here. They're not here. I keep seeing notifications on the tracking that they're, they're delayed due to weather. Um, the roads here are clear, so I don't know why they can't drive down the road and deliver my packages. And then I have stuff that I need to purchase that I haven't left the house to go buy because of the weather. The the It's just so extreme. It's so cold. It's so uncomfortably cold. And you know me, as soon as I found out there was going to be any weather, I went out and bought milk and eggs and bread. I have stacks and stacks and stacks of that stuff because I live in Missouri and that's what we do. We don't know why. We just do it. So today on the show, uh, besides it being a wonderful, happy Friday and just we're heading into the weekend, we're going to talk about when the baby killers come calling. It's infanticide. That's what it is. Um, we are also going to be talking about this phenomenon with Howard Schultz. <sighs> I want to I want to I want to talk about that. It connects up to our daily confession today. Our daily confession is Proverbs 29 verse 2, but I want to listen to this audio of Howard Schultz and it, and remember, this isn't coming from Stacy the fangirl, um you know, I I'm in love with Starbucks or I'm in love with the, the guy, you know, who who started Starbucks. But I do have a great deal of respect for where he comes from. Um, he grew up in the projects. I'm, I'm not sure a lot of people really remember this because if you look at the store and you look at, look at its success and you look at he's a billionaire now, you might think to yourself, mm, you know, uh, that's not a guy who could identify with me. Well, if you come from poverty, he can identify with you because he really came from nothing. And he's a little gobsmacked right now. In fact, what's funny about what's happening to him, funny, ironic, not ha-ha, is that Howard Schultz has been such a defender of liberal causes, gun control, um, you know, pro-choice, all that stuff. And he's been right at the forefront of the culture wars. He's also been a very, very responsible business owner in that he's gone out of his way to provide his employees with opportunities to access the American dream through their work, even though the majority of his employees, because he's in the restaurant business, they're the majority of his employees are not in management, but they can still buy stock in Starbucks and they can still access uh, health care plans that he provides. And they have this um, this education program where Starbucks will help pay for your degree. Like it's it's a it's a great company to work for in, in spite of his gun control fanaticism and all of that. So he's not understanding why after all of that and his stellar record of supporting Democrats, just the idea that he would want to offer a different choice to Americans because the Democrats are leaving him in the dust, they're becoming too radical even for him, that he doesn't understand why he's being attacked. Now, I can tell you why he's being attacked. Democrats don't allow dissension in the ranks. You're either with them or you're a target. And so here he is discussing that, really this basic concept 
that if you make it in America and you are in the upper middle class or if you're wealthy and you started out from nothing, really, you know, receiving government assistance and your food coming from a government program, that you have not only achieved the American dream, but that you're someone to look up to. And liberals no longer believe that. It's number six. I'm not a Democrat. I don't affiliate myself with the Democratic Party, who's so far left, who basically wants the government to take over health care, which we cannot afford, the government to give free college to everybody, and the government to give everyone a job, which basically is $40 trillion on the balance sheet of $21.5 trillion. We can't afford it. What can we do? What we need is comprehensive tax reform. What we need is sensible solutions to immigration. All of these things cannot happen under the current environment. Now, I've also been criticized for being a billionaire. Let's talk about that. I'm self-made. I grew up in the projects in Brooklyn, New York. I thought that was the American dream, the aspiration of America. You're going to criticize me for, for being successful when in my company over the last 30 years, the only company in America that gave comprehensive health insurance, equity in the form of stock options, and free college tuition, and Elizabeth Warren wants to criticize me for being successful? No. So he's run up against the buzzsaw of the reality of the people he's been hanging around with for the past few years. And now that he says he's no longer a Democrat, they're like, well, if you're not one of us, you're the enemy. So stand still. We're going to put our barrels in your direction and we're going to shoot at you. And he seems perplexed by this. Let me give you the scripture. It's Proverbs 29.2. When the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. The New American Standard Bible says, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, people groan. The King James says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. So how does that connect up with what we're hearing from him? Well, he's groaning because he, he doesn't appreciate the leadership of Donald Trump. That much is clear. When he says he's not a Democrat anymore, there's enough of him that's still a Democrat that he doesn't like what we're seeing under President Trump. And remember, I've already laid this out so many times, but for anyone who's new to the show, welcome. This is Stacy on the right. It will never be Stacy on the left. And the reason why I support the president, it's not because I like his course, you know, his course language or uh, the fact that he's been married more than one time or, or the infidelity. None of that is of concern to me. When on the left, there are no moral or religious standards either. The left actually tries to remove God from the public square. They've been very effective in doing that. And so for me, I'm not looking for a pastor. It's a leader. And if you look in the Bible over and over again, God used people like David, who was an adulterer and also murdered a man so he could have his wife. And others in the Bible who had moral failings, who, who made mistakes, grievous errors, were still used by God greatly to the benefit of his people. And so I believe that Donald Trump can do that. Not because he's Donald Trump, but because God is sovereign and he can use any person, any vessel, whether it's broken, cracked, glued together, you know, slapstick together with Play-Doh, any vessel can be used by God. That being said, what we're seeing with Howard Schultz is, is it's the last throes and scrapings and groanings and wailings of the Democrat Party where People on the left used to believe that if you started from nothing, like Steve Jobs, and with Steve Jobs, he was adopted. Then he, his parents, his adopted parents, raised him in this kind of, it was like a little microcosm of really unique opportunities because the university nearby had these computing uh, like workshops and seminars for kids. And so him and his friends were going to those computer workshops and learning how to code and how to program and do all these really awesome things. 
this is right in his wheelhouse. It's what he loved to do. So he started building computers at home. And he didn't finish college. He, he made this company. And he went on from there to become, really, there's not many people alive who don't know who Steve Jobs is or who don't own one of his products or use one of his products. That's the American dream. In another country, he would have been limited by the caste system, which would have said he was an orphan. He would have had to have grown up in an orphanage, and he would have never had access to the programs as a child that enabled him to learn and to create the way that he did. So when we say the American dream, it's something unique to this country that people are able to do this. And so I just want, I, I, I want to, just for one second, because obviously I don't respect the Democrats. I don't respect their party platform. I don't respect people who claim to be Christians yet continually vote for Democrats. I don't have any respect for it. And it's, it's not that I can't be kind or cordial to you, but I don't respect those activities you're engaging in because they're sinful. And that's for you to deal with, not me. I don't have to change my feelings or address myself. I'm worried about my own sin and the things that I'm doing that God is working with me on. You worry about yourself. Yeah, it's my opinion, but it's rooted in scripture and grounded in what I've seen in the Bible and what I've come to know over my years over this earth, because I was a Democrat. I was a Democrat back when they said abortion should be safe, legal, and rare, and they still respected God, and they still respected Christians, and they still allowed people to disagree. I was a Democrat back when they still thought homosexuality as well as transgenderism were mental illnesses. I mean, it was still a pro-abortion party, and I was pro-abortion back then too, but the difference between that Democratic Party that I was a part of and the one that is in existence right now, we're not even in the same universe anymore. And that is where my experience and my opinion is rooted and coming from. It's, it's coming from that. So it's not like I'm sitting in judgment of you, like I've never been a Democrat or I've never believed the things that you claim to believe. It's that back then I wasn't as strong of a Christian. And now that I know what I know and I've read what I've read in the Bible and I've heard the Lord speak about this over and over and over again, this is the defining line. When the party that you support is saying, let a woman have a baby, and then as the baby is lying there on the table, instead of her nurturing it, instead of them swaddling the baby, instead of them putting the baby under the warming tray, they just leave it under the thing and maybe throw a, a little cloth over it so it's comfortable. And then the doctor and the mom can decide whether or not to kill it. The Bible says the stiff neck will be destroyed. He that being often reproved hardens his neck shall be suddenly destroyed and without remedy. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked bears rule, the people mourn. It doesn't get much clearer than that. When we get back, we'll have Tesla and Figaro. Stay right there. Are you still stuck on the healthcare roller coaster? Still paying those high premiums? And strapped into huge deductibles? Not knowing what's around the next turn? Well, then let me tell you about a sound, sensible healthcare choice that really is affordable. It's MediShare, the healthcare sharing solution people like you have been trusting in for more than 25 years. MediShare members report saving around $500 a month on their healthcare costs, and they never pay for things they don't believe in. Time to say goodbye to that healthcare roller coaster and say hello to MediShare. Call star star 345 to find out how much you can save on your healthcare. MediShare. Call star star 345. Message and data rates may apply. That's star star 345. 
Hi, I'm Crawford Lorenz with a Legacy Moment. Sometimes we make assumptions about God's purpose for our lives. I recently visited a very successful businessman who has everything you can imagine. He's in the prime of his career. Deals, people, success, and recognition are pouring his way. But there's a problem. He's not satisfied in his heart of hearts. He knows he's not where God wants him to be. He believes God has called him to invest his life in full-time Christian work. But he said, Crawford, I'm addicted to being in control of my life. And because things are working, I don't want to give up what I have. It's a tremendous struggle for him. Well, there really is no greater joy than knowing and doing the will of God. King David knew that. He sought to live in line with God's truth and God's principles. Even when he failed miserably, he quickly repented and got back in lockstep in terms of where God wanted him to be. In Acts chapter 13, the Apostle Paul does a eulogy of this servant of the Lord, David. Verse 22 says, God raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Now down in verse 36. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and underwent decay. David experienced the pleasure of God. He lived a life that accomplished God's purposes. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. If you were to die today, could it be said of you that you did the will of God in your generation? Think about that. Could it really be said of you that you did the will of God in your generation? Let's rush to where God wants us to be, not necessarily where we'd like to be. And let's get on with accomplishing His assignment. More information about the ministry of Crawford Loritz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being with us. What I'm going to do now is listen to the president talk about his uh, intentions on securing the border. And here's what's important about this. Um, the president is that this isn't a political football. It's not an applause line. It's it's not any of the things that you've seen people saying so far uh, that this is something that he's doing because he hates immigrants or n- none of those things are true. It's simply a matter of stopping the flow of illegally trafficked human beings and unlawful entrance and the smuggling of drugs. It's to stop all of that. That's it's so simple, so easy to really delineate. So let's uh, let's listen to this one. It's number two. Open borders are very bad for our country. Crime comes in, drugs, human trafficking, so many things. But let's talk about human trafficking. You can't bring women or children through a port of entry where you have people looking into the back of a car, a van, a truck. It has to go out into the open areas where they drive into our country like there's no problem. And that's exactly what they do. They get off the main drag or the main road. They make a right or a left. And then they come right into our country. They go through areas where there is nobody. We need a border wall. If we don't have a wall to stop them, nothing's going to stop them. This isn't about technology, and this isn't about politics. This is about practicality, and it's about security for our nation. So I actually appreciate it when the president comes out and and gives messages like these. I wish that out of respect for the office, 
um, the media would at least, you know, disseminate these messages because the American people need to know he's talking about this. But I, I, I want to draw a connection between something that I've seen and I've kind of wondered about it. I, I was when I see people on MSNBC and CNN saying that the president is um, he's unfit, he's derelict, he's he's a criminal in waiting, he's an unindicted co-conspirator. What is he talking? What are, what are they talking about? Why are they saying that? Well, if those things were true, then they would have justification for not paying attention to what he says, for not disseminating his messages, for not covering his press events, for giving him short shrift. And that that's that's the thought process here. The thought process is he's horrible. He's a criminal. He's he deserves to be in prison. He should be impeached. He shouldn't be the president. So we don't have to listen to him and we don't have to report on him. and We don't have to give him a, a fair shake. That's not what journalism is. Journalism is about saying, look. I may disagree with this person, but I need to report on them because they're a national figure. That This is the head of the country. This is someone uh, who is in control of a lot of different things. Maybe the, he's in control of the executive branch. I mean, it's, no, maybe. That's what he's in charge of. And we're seeing this refusal to accept that and this braiding down that it, that's happening with, with them. It, it's, it's kind of uh, unbelievable, yet it's, it's happening. And so... I thought it was important to have that here. And then there's just one more bit of information. And that is from um, the White House. Sure, it's from the White House. Um, actually, it's like speculation. It's over at the right scoop. But it's rooted in laws that we currently have. So um, I, I just, the sigh is coming from me being kind of exhausted by everybody having to go back and forth over something that's so basic. It's like if your municipality was arguing about whether or not they were going to repair the roads. And you would be like, wait a minute, how could you argue about that? There's federal funding for roads. It comes to your municipality. You also take tax dollars and you get a tax. You get a portion of the tax that's on every gallon of gas. Why would you not repair the road? Well, repairing the road is immoral. You would be like, are you out of your mind? People would be getting recalled. People would no longer have their jobs. But in this case, Nancy Pelosi is able to keep saying these outlandish, wild, inaccurate things. And people are applauding. They're like, she's right. She's she's the boss of Trump. She's not Donald Trump's boss. And refusing to negotiate on the wall funds doesn't make her his boss. It just makes her an idiot. So here's what the president. uh, This is via The New York Times. And they're getting this information from the Oval Office, and so Mr. Trump, President Trump, was in the Oval Office talking about how the talks have become a waste of time because Nancy Pelosi just made that comment about how there's never going to be any funding for the wall. He also expressed optimism about reaching a trade deal with China, and he denied all of the hullabaloo about, um, you know, the intelligence chiefs. So... We're, we're having some snafus with my associate producer and the guest that he booked. Um, anyway, I, I, I'm, I'm still on this story. I want to finish this up. He says, President Trump says, I think Nancy Pelosi is hurting our country very badly by doing what she's doing. And ultimately, I think I've set the table very nicely. So he doesn't talk about declaring the national emergency. But Daniel Horowitz says a different section of the U.S. Code permits the president to do something about combating drug smuggling. 
He doesn't have to declare a health crisis or national emergency. He simply can use 10 U.S.C. Section 284, which allows the Secretary of Defense, upon request from federal or state law enforcement dealing with drug trafficking, uh, to, and in conjunction with the Secretary of State, to provide support for the counter-drug activities or activities to counter transnational organized crime. It allows the Department of Defense to provide help in the form of construction of roads and fences, installation of lighting to block drug smuggling corridors across international boundaries of the United States. What does that sound like? Sounds like the president can install fencing and barriers to prevent the smuggling of drugs. What's happening at the southern border? Drug cartels are smuggling drugs into our country and human beings to sell them to the sex slave trade. And it's a multi-billion dollar enterprise that the United States has a vested interest in ending. This is not a loophole. It's not a, uh, something that could be contested in court. I'm sure the Democrats would sue because when they lose, they sue. Um, but it's, it's, it's not something that you're going to see. A, a judge could place an injunction. Uh, he could keep working in spite of the injunction. That's what Obama used to do. And then the Supreme Court could rule on it. And they're not going to rule against federal law as long as he's not going outside of what the federal law says he can do. I'll give this to you one more time. Here's the quote from the law. To provide support for the counter-drug activities or activities to counter transnational organized crime, subsection B7 allows the Department of Defense to help in the form of, quote, construction of roads and fences and installation of lighting to block drug smuggling corridors across international boundaries of the United States. So this is not an issue of him filing a national emergency, because I'll, I'll tell you one more thing. So I'm just speculating here. But does it serve Nancy Pelosi to actually negotiate when she promised she would? She said, open the government and we'll negotiate. No. Does it serve her to give the president a win that he can use to campaign on? No. Does it serve her to force him into a position where he feels like he has to declare a national emergency so that she and her lawyers and all the, all the buddies on the Democrat side can sue and then gum the whole thing up and no wall gets built for the next two years because it just keeps getting fought in court? Yes. And so that's why she's not negotiating. I don't, you know, I got, I got no insight into Nancy. She's like the daughter of a mob boss. I don't understand her at all. But it just seems like that's probably what she has going on as opposed to um, what, what we might think. So um, I'm, I'm, I have no idea what's going on with our guest or with Demetrius and the booking of this guest. I have no idea. Um, I, I'm just going to say we probably need to have her come on in the next segment because I can't manage trying to figure out how to get her phone number over to somebody else while I'm on the air. This is just ridiculous. Um, so I want to now turn over to the jobs report, which was fantastic. There was this amazing moment on CNN where they were just giddy about the jobs report. They just seemed like they could not um, stop their excitement over it. They even used a term called BAFO, which I don't know that I've heard that before. It's number one. In breaking news, the Labor Department just released the January jobs report, a BAFO, 
jobs report, I think is the technical term. CNN's Christine <laughs> Roman joins us now with the numbers. Roman. It's a really good report. I mean, starting this year with a lot of hiring across the board, uh, we've got 304,000 net new jobs in January. So just shrugging off the government shutdown and private industry hiring now. This is 100 months in a row of job creation, you guys. That's really remarkable. You saw the unemployment rate tick up just a tiny bit, but this is still considered generational low there. And look, Again, for years now, you have seen strong job creation. It shows no sign of letting down here. Wages, by the way, up 3.2%. We've now seen three months in a row of strong wage growth. That's been missing in so much of the recovery of the past decade. So watch to see if that continues. Love to see that there. Again, across the sectors, warehouses, transportation uh, companies, uh, offices. You've seen uh, leisure and hospitality, huge gains in bar and restaurant jobs, construction jobs, and healthcare. again, 42,000 uh, net new jobs there. So again, Again, this is a strong labor market report, and we've seen after last year 2.6 million new jobs. That pace is continuing at the beginning of the year, you guys. So all, all I can do at this point is rejoice, which is what we should, be, we should all be doing. Regardless of your political party, you should be rejoicing and thanking God. Hey, you know what? This is pretty amazing. Um, I Think of all the people who've been employed. And later in the segment, we didn't cut the whole thing for you, obviously, but later in the segment, they talked about eight consecutive years of, you know, job creation. They said like a hundred, it's basically eight years, it's a hundred months of, of, of job creation. So they're trying to, you know, stretch back and look at how much job creation was done during the Obama years. And you know what? I'm fine with that. I'm fine if the jobs were created during the Obama administration. Who, you know, uh, who cares? The point is fewer people on government assistance, more people, um, who are absolutely in just just right in line where they need to be um, working, not on programs that that kind of hamper that that desire because it's it's a habit. Working is a habit, and if you're not working, you're not forming that habit. You're not building on that. It's the same as going to church. If you only go to church once a month, you're you're forming a habit to go to church once a month. If you decide you're going to go to church um, every single week, then you're going to form that habit. And when you miss, you're, you, it's just like the end of the week. That's how it feels. It's the same thing with work. If you're used to working, you're going to want to continue to work. If you are not used to working because you've been getting a check from the government, for whatever reason, maybe you really needed it and it's something that was a stopgap to keep your family you know, whole and healthy and happy, that's great, but the sooner a person gets back to work, the sooner they're back into developing and strengthening that habit um, that is just, it's, it's right there. So I, I, can't, I can't stress enough how this is great news. We have to rejoice and, you know, hallelujah, thank God people are working, all these jobs are being created. In spite of everything that we're seeing, the uh, obstruction from the Democrats, um, the, all of it. It's it's all going on and it's all working out well. And what we have to do is continue to support the president's policies as it pertains to maintaining the border, et cetera, et cetera, getting everything done. And one of the things that's super important also, um, in addition to the president proceeding without Nancy Pelosi, which he's already said he's going to do, and super important about the, the economy and the budgeting and all of that is that what we're trying to get to is a place where it's less government, more Americans focusing on getting on with their lives, living without the government. More, more people who are in an environment where they can do something amazing, uh, like what we've seen with um, 
it's, it's like a metamorphosis, if you will, where you have someone like Schultz, the, the guy we were talking about, Howard Schultz from, from Starbucks, more stories like that. And, and believe me, there are literally millions of stories like that. Some of the people who are the, the star of those stories are immigrants. Some of them are refugees. Some of them are, uh, you know, obviously natural born American citizens. They're coming from poverty or maybe they're coming from a middle class background, but they have an idea. It's an amazing idea. Like the lady who created Spanx. She's one of my favorite ones because she was in marketing. She had a pretty nice career. She didn't come from a poor family or anything like that. She just was kind of like, hey, you know, um, you know, this, this is, this is who I am. She married a guy who had started some companies uh, while they were married and she needed some undergarments, you know, to kind of hold herself in and make her look smooth under her clothes. And when she went out to find them, she went department store to department store. She couldn't find what she wanted. So she got together with some people who she'd done some work for before as a consultant and said, if I bring you a pattern, can you make something? And they were like, yeah, you know, whatever, we'll make you a sample or two just out of courtesy because we have a previous business working relationship because normally it's pretty, it's, it's kind of pricey to have samples made. So she had the samples made and she gave them to her girlfriends and said, don't, don't ask me where this is from. Just the next time you need a foundational garment, wear this and then tell me how it worked for you. And her friends loved it. So their love for what they were able to get from their, their friend, from the, this creative person who created Spanx, she, it spurred her on. So she went, reached out to some other people that she'd worked with and she talked to them and she did what she had to do to get some capital. And she starts this multi-million dollar company. It's a multi-billion dollar company now, but in the beginning it was just a small company that she started because it was something in the marketplace she saw a need. Same thing with, uh, Kate Spade. She was in the business working for other people, helping them design their products. And she said, you know, I love purses, but I love a certain look and I'm going to start my own thing. She starts her own thing. They're, they lived in New York City. So they lived with the purses and the product in their tiny little New York apartment, literally walls of purses in boxes. The shipment would come and they would just line their apartment with it. And then they would ship them from right out of the apartment. They literally have the UPS guy pull his little truck up and his little, you know, the little dolly. And he would come up and down the stairs with them to load the purses and sell them. And then she got picked up by Nordstrom. That's the American dream. And anybody who's standing against that, anybody who doesn't understand that more Americans want to participate in that is just full of it. They're full of poppycock. And we can't have people like that in charge of us. No way. All right. When we get back, we're going to have Teslin Figaro. And more Stacy on the right. Keep it here. Can solid teamwork building principles apply to all of life? Here's Tony Dungy, author of The Soul of a Team, with today's Uncommon Moment. I've been working in or around the National Football League for more than 40 years. First as a player for the Pittsburgh Steelers and San Francisco 49ers, then as a coach for the Steelers, Kansas City Chiefs, Minnesota Vikings, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and Indianapolis Colts, and now as a broadcast analyst for NBC. In that time, I've seen some pretty crazy behavior. 
I've also seen a lot of great things. Selfless acts of courage and compassion. Our actions and attitudes impact those we live and work with. And it all goes back to four simple principles that spell soul. Selflessness, ownership, unity, and larger purpose. Consider how you're doing in each of those. Tony Dungy, best-selling author of The Soul of a Team, from Tyndale House. More at CoachDungy.com. One goal is that we're hoping that believers will come to learn more about prayer and more about the vital place it's to have in the life of every single believer. Pastor Joseph Parker of the Hour of Intercession. Each and every one of us is called to live a life given to prayer. All of us are wise to make prayer a big part of our individual lives, and we're wise to make it a big part of our life in our families and in our homes. Listen weekday afternoons at 1 Central here on Urban Family Talk. Chris Brooks. We cannot underestimate the responsibility of evangelism. That is why shows like this, Equipped, which is committed to equipping you every day to live, share, and defend your faith, are extremely important because anyone who does not confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is outside of God's saving grace. Equipped. Weekdays at noon central on Urban Family Talk. Fox on Faith with Lauren Green. As we now know, some of the media jumped to conclusions about the confrontation at the Lincoln Memorial. Turns out the students from Covington Catholic High School were not the aggressors. But in the fallout, some are asking if the incident exposed a media bias against Christians in general. Former Obama faith advisor Christopher Hale. I think it's absurd that this is even a story whatsoever. And it becomes a great political football for both sides to start beating each other up. There was also a media uproar over the vice president's wife, Karen Pence, taking a part-time job at a Christian school which teaches traditional values about marriage. Then there was the questioning at a Senate confirmation hearing over a federal judge nominee's membership with the Catholic organization the Knights of Columbus. Pastor Shane Eidelman, Westside Christian Church in California, says it's just the tip of the iceberg. There's definitely a media bias because truth does not change. And you're going to see this bias mm-hmm. getting worse and even more directed at, at the Christian faith. To hear more, go to a spirited debate at foxnews.com. For Fox on Faith, Lauren Green, Fox News. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for being here. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com, UrbanFamilyTalk.com, and AFR.net. It's my pleasure to welcome our next guest to the program. We have Teslin Figaro, former National Justice Director for Senator Bernie Sanders. Teslin, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Stacey. So glad to be back on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so let's talk about the front runner for the Democrats in 2020. I've seen a lot of the announcements this week. You've got Kamala Harris. You have Joe Biden considering and pondering. You have uh, Elizabeth Warren. And, of course, you have Cory Booker now, who uh, he says he's, he's ready and he he's wants America to rise up or something like that. What, what's <laughs> the real deal? <laughs> well, you know, there is no front runner, you know, for the Democrat Party. That's the thing, you know. Um, people can position themselves as a front runner or say that they're the one that has the base on lock, but obviously that's not the case. Um, we saw that in 2016 where 
uh, all of the pundits got it wrong, all of the candidates got it wrong, every mm-hmm. consultant got it wrong in thinking that Hillary Clinton was the front runner. So I think uh, it's fair game for anyone that goes for any conservative uh, that may want to challenge. I know the Republican uh, National Committee is behind President Trump, but that goes for anyone that may want to challenge President Trump or President Trump is fair game for him or for any Democrat or even independent, um, like Howard Schultz. Um, this you know, is a I... good time whether. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I, I I agree with you. I actually think um, I think that I think the president has a really high approval rating with Republican voters. It's like 88 percent or something like that. Ninety seven percent with Republican women. So he's probably got a pretty good chance at the nomination. But when you say Howard Schultz, that that's a conversation, Tesla, I'm dying to have with you. Um, I, in fact, before we go to him, just can you tell me, because you do have the close connection to Senator Sanders, is he going to be throwing his hat into the ring? Yeah, sure he will. Um, you know, I, I don't know the point of doing this exploratory uh, gimmick is what I call it. You know, <laughs> and no disrespect to him, but it's either you're going to run or you're not. You know, I, I wrote a book a couple years ago called uh, Are You Going to Run Your Mouth or Run for Office? And so mm. it really does apply to him and anyone else. Um, that is doing this exploratory committee. When we know full well, you know, he'll be running. Why wouldn't he? You know, he certainly, um, after this chance, you know, due to age or uh, maybe public interest, he certainly won't have a third chance at it. So, you know, why not Why not put his ideas out there? You know, every Democrat has certainly stole his ideas and have uh, embraced it. So why not? You know, <laughs> I say all the time I'm not a, a socialist by any stretch of the imagination. I used to be what was called a blue dog Democrat. Mm-hmm. Uh, but since that is no longer in existence, uh, I am a registered independent myself. So I joined this campaign because it was anti-establishment and really had a populist movement. And at that time, you know, everyone was told not to run except Hillary Clinton. So that was what drew me to him then. Um, it won't be what keeps me with him this time around. You know, I love that you said that because blue dog Democrats are people that I, I honestly, I respect you a great deal because it really means you have a varied conscience about a ton of different issues and you have some conservative views, you have some that are a little more progressive, and you're rooting and grounding that in your, it, it's your true belief system. So you're not really uh-huh. hewing to one party or the other for the platform, as it were. And I find, uh-huh. Teslin, to be honest with you, most, most people that, when they tell me they're an independent, I can ask them like five questions, and before you know it, they're sounding a lot like dyed-in-the-wool Democrats. But a blue dog Democrat is a completely different, uh, you know, person. That That is someone that I honestly feel like there's nobody left for blue dog Democrats anymore. I don't mm-hmm. see any of the current candidates coming out with any ideas that support, you know, it, there has to be a place for a blue dog Democrat in our political spectrum. And, and it just seems like it's been eliminated. Mm-hmm. It has. And it's not that those people don't exist. It's just, it's become such tribal wars, you know, where people really just don't have a tribe anymore. That's why, you know, I'm really focused on people, um, talking about what it means to be independent and also particularly African-Americans, what it means to be independent, to have more leverage. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't say that every uh, ideal that I have leans left. You know, I was a business owner. I owned a staffing firm with 300 employees. I've mm-hmm. worked for 10 of the largest corporations in the world, um, from uh, from the largest staffing firms in the world to GMAC to GEICO Insurance. So I've signed the front of the check. Um, so I understand what business means. I understand that there's a lot of chambers of con- commerce, which I've said on um, a few of those uh, steering committees uh, that don't have a voice, you know, whether you're talking about right wing um, chambers of commerce in Central Florida or the African-American Chamber of Commerce. I was the ambassador, the first uh, ambassador 
with that chamber. So there's not a voice for people because if they line up one way, if the African-American Chamber of Commerce supports a Republican idea, they say, oh, well, you're helping Republicans be racist. If a Republican Chamber of Commerce supports something that may be a little bit more liberal, they say, oh, you're a socialist or you're a communist. So there has been just a complete gut of anybody that has any, you know, uh, idea that is not all the way left or all the way right. And it's really sad. So when these things happen, when you have 16, 17 different candidates, this will give uh, America an opportunity to see who's really progressive, who's really moderate, who's just talking the talk, who's walking the walk. And then when you have people like Howard Schultz that comes in and kind of mixes it up and say, hey, I'm from the Brooklyn Project and I am the CEO of Starbucks, who can match that? It's a good conversation that needs to be had. And so if we are afraid of that, if 30-plus Democrats are afraid of one independent getting on the ballot, that tells you the type of trouble that we're in. All right. Well, let's go there then, because you you just broke that down perfectly. And I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, Tesla, and I haven't said this on the air yet, so it's between you and I and the 32 <laughs> and states worth of listening. Yeah, everyone was listening. But there's been some moments where I've been listening to Schultz talk on television about his upbringing and about the things he's done at Starbucks for his employees and, you know, the fact that he he still believes in capitalism, which that should not be like a taboo to, to think that t- that capitalism is good. Um, I, I, I like some of his ideas. I actually think he's still got his head screwed on straight. I'm pretty sure on the social issues, I'm as far from him as the East is from the West. But on the business side, he sounds like a person who is still rooted in some form of sensibility, like reality, if you will. And I, I know you were very hurt by the way that the DNC handled the nomination with Hillary Clinton. You were working for the Sanders campaign and he wasn't given a fair shake in the process. What do you see happening going into 2020? Do you think they've revamped that and they've gotten away from the issues that they had there trying to, you know, basically ramming Hillary Clinton through? Yeah, I mean, well, they're still going to ram their choice through just because Hillary Clinton's not running, which she still may run. But just because she's not running doesn't mean she's not running. You know, they're still going to have their choice. Right now, this is, you know, um, I've seen this. I've worked campaigns like this on the local and the state level where you do the anybody but campaign. So right now, this is the anybody but Trump campaign. So everyone is going to come out and galvanize each individual base. Uh, Senator Warren will go after those who are progressive white progressives that typically Bernie Sanders can gather. Cory Bush and Kamala Harris obviously will go after people of color. Um, You'll also have, you know, Joe Biden, who will also be able to really speak to that Midwest, uh, you know, Midwest group of folks. So right now it's about the Democrats actually kind of being strategic for the first time ever in a very long time. We're trying to galvanize as many subgroups as they possibly can. But this is where this backfires. When they do this, and everybody starts out with unity and we're all going to get our own folks and come together at the end, somebody's going to get a taste of the power. Somebody's going to actually think they have a shot. And that's where you're going to start seeing things become a little bit ugly than what they probably anticipated. So, um, you know, I, I think those, those, those things are good. You know, they're good to have this uh, idea that we're all just going to sing and get along and kumbaya is not the reality of politics is not the reality of business. And I do like what, you know, I said, I won't work for anybody this, this season so that I can talk about everybody from top to bottom, but I really do, you know, um, like what Howard Schultz has to say because it's backed up with real experience, and a lot of people don't have that. And what I really like to say is he's not allowing anybody to put him in a box. You know, on Morning Joe last week, I said, well, why can't you just be a Democrat? And he said, why? I don't believe mm-hmm. that the Democrat Party is put, they're pushing everybody socialism. socialists. I don't believe in that. Why would I do that just for the sake of doing it? And that's really the position that Senator Sanders should take. He has... Uh, 
small donors. He's not depending on big money. So why needs the Democrat Party? Why beg to be a part of something that clearly you don't want to be a part of and they don't want to be a part of you? So that really what has turned me off with him. You know, I'm not interested in, in being a part of it. You don't like me, guess what, Stacey? I don't like you. And so <laughs> that, that mentality is what I really like with him. He's standing firm on his beliefs. I, I, I really do think he's the independent version of, of Joe Biden. You know what? I I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm gonna go ahead and say if this is more stuff I haven't shared yet, but there is something that's attractive about the message that Howard Schultz has because there are people out there who are independents or who they they feel like they like something from both sides. They would be one or the other. They definitely lean one side to the you know one more more to one side than the other. But in the end, they can't they can't pull that final trigger to say, I am a Democrat or I am a Republican. And with Schultz saying he's an independent, you know, moderates are actually the largest party. Um, people who mm-hmm. call themselves moderate, are, when, you, when you survey and you ask the question, people will say they are more moderate than they are one political party than the other. Mm-hmm. And that group just continues to grow year after year. That number keeps getting bigger. So when you talk about this, this idea that, that Howard Schultz is putting forward that he feels like the Democrats have left him behind, but he's not exactly a Republican. He's pretty conservative on like the work side. He understands business. He understands creating wealth, creating jobs. But on the other hand, he feels like there's there's something that has to be done about immigration, about a, a number of okay. host of issues I've heard him talk about. Um, I, I don't agree with everything I've heard him say, but there's some common sense to it that is very different than what the Democrats are putting forward. And And let's face it, what did you think about... Um, one one of the candidates on on the Democrat side said we need a 70 percent tax, maybe even up to 90 percent. We need a wealth tax. You know, that's Elizabeth Warren. Um, Kamala Harris says we need single payer. Even if you like your insurance, you will be forced onto single payer. That's a non-starter for a presidential candidate. These are not the ideas of a mainstream presidential party um, uh, apparatus. Uh, where, do, where do you see that going with them them saying these things? Well, this was not their ideal prior to Senator Sanders, um, you know, they're kind of following what they think is popular belief, you know, based upon um, what the trends say, not really what they believe. You know, a lot of these candidates were not on board with Medicare for All just a few short years ago. Um, Now that they see that the progressive, uh, taking that progressive platform will help them be successful in the primary, no worries. You'll see a lot of them switch their conversation on who uh, eventually will become the Democratic nominee. They understand that um, the middle of America is not on board with single payer. They get that. You know, we see what that happened with Stacey Abrams um, very prog- and a- Andrew Gillum, very progressive uh, campaigns that were ran during the primary, but then kind of went back to some of their center roots. Uh, I believe Gilliam didn't talk much at all about uh, Medicare for All uh, once he started running as the actual nominee. So they'll eventually switch. You know, as far as me personally, you know, I lost my mother on the campaign trail with Senator Sanders. Um, she did not want to say she had cancer. Um, I was in the middle of uh, working on this campaign, had to stop, you know, and go home and um, watch her pass away over a week or so, um, all because she didn't want to stay in the hospital an extra day. A seven-day stay cost $56,000, and she was a state employee working for the state initiative, uh, faith-based state initiative program for the state of Oklahoma. Never depended on government a day of her life as a single mom working over 10 different professions. So there has to be something, you know, that has to be done with health care. Lost my dad, uh, who had zero health insurance. So this all affects all of us. But I have mm. to be honest and say that 
when I ran my staffing business. When healthcare reform went through, uh, my staffing business collapsed because we could not afford uh, to put temporary employees on health care insurance. Mm. And so when my business collapsed, guess who also lost? The 300-plus employees, more than half of them were second uh, returning home citizens uh, who were on probation. I had young ladies who were living in shelters that needed to be able to show that they had employment. So it put them out of office. You don't hear those, uh, not out of office, I'm sorry, out of a job and out of a right. home. You don't hear those types of stories, but those are the real stories. So I identify on both sides the need that people need health care insurance as well as people, as well as the businesses that need to be able to uh, sustain themselves. They cannot afford to do it. And only those who sign the front of the check understand. It's not that people are being cruel. It's just mm-hmm. a lot of this doesn't make business sense. So I think Elizabeth Warren is going with the tide. She's going with what they think is in, you know popular. And in and, and due time, you're going to have to explain how it's going to be paid for, Thank you. how it's going to affect jobs. You're going to have to explain how many positions have stopped of being physicians because they've been forced to take Medicare and they're never paid, and so they're basically working for free. So those are questions that these candidates are going to have to explain. But it's a very much needed conversation um, that, unfortunately, we really didn't get a chance to have in 2016 because it was already decided that Hillary Clinton would be the nominee. Oh, you broke that down so well. And, Teslin, I'm, I'm, I offer my condolences. I know it, it wasn't recent, but it tears me up when I hear people talking about stories like that. And we have had one of our children has had a medical diagnosis last summer. And we're just now getting to a place where he's, he's like, he looks like himself again. He's been sick and in a lot of pain and we have health insurance that we actually want to keep. Like the idea that Kamala Harris thinks we should all be forced on a single payer. It means life and death for our, for our son. It it really Uh does. And it's the same situation that you're talking about with the, the cost there's no way we could cover the cost of these, this, this medical procedure he has to have every few weeks. We can't cover it. And so there, uh-huh. and I'm working, my husband works, we, we do well, but there's no way we could afford it. So uh-huh. when I hear you talking about that, that what we need is more people like you at the forefront of the conversation so we could come to a meeting place. I'm, I'm willing to consider all options. I just don't want this one size fits all stuff that I'm hearing Um, And I don't think we should just leave it as it is. I I do think we need to make some changes. You are always amazing when you come on. And I'm hoping that this is the year, 2019, I'll get to shake your hand and we'll get to have dinner together. Um, Teslin, thank you for joining us. You're amazing. Former National Justice Director for Senator Bernie Sanders. It's important. You know, I get criticized a lot, you know, for talking to people on the right, you know, and I think it's the most ridiculous thing ever in life. So I'm always... open to have the conversation. Thanks for having me. We'll never get anywhere if we don't have open dialogue to see where we Mm. agree and disagree. So Perfect. Thank you so much, Tuslin. And God bless you from the heartland. Happy Friday. We'll talk to you after onenewsnow.com.